Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see you and to be with you. And well done on braving uh, winter 2.0, second round of winter this morning. And uh, I think something else is going on today that's a fairly big deal, but I'm, I'm trying not to even mention it in church because I grew up with too many football analogies. And, and so I'm not even going to go there. Uh, anyways, good, good to be with you in this morning. Quick question right off the bat. What have you been learning? What's, what's one thing you've been, uh, I, I don't know, learning lately that you're trained in? We've been learned and studied many things that over time, kind of useless. I, I don't remember anything about parallelograms. Uh, it's not useless. <laughs> yeah. um, but when it comes down to something like the making of peace, uh, it seems like we're I don't know. I'll just speak for myself. Dum-dums. Uh, on the way here, this is a full disclosure. On the way here, I was driving through the downtown east side. I live in this neighborhood. I'm used to that the, the normal rules of jaywalking don't apply here. I'm used to that and having to watch out for, for people. And there was a man that particularly w tried to walk in front of my vehicle as an act of defiance. Uh, it wasn't his turn, <laughs> but I'm, I'm used to that. But for whatever this reason, for whatever reason this morning, I wanted to extend the right hand of fellowship with just one finger. And, uh, <laughs> but, I, but I caught myself and I thought, cheaper, I'm going to give a, a teaching on peacemaking. <laughs> And I almost fingered someone on the way here. Um, and why? Why? Because he intentionally was like, I'll show you, dad in your minivan, <laughs> driving to church, I'll show you. And I didn't like being shown. I don't know what. So here, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the place we find ourselves in, I guess. But if we were to dig a little bit deeper, I'd be curious just to ask if you were to take just... Let's just say the last couple weeks. And if you were to distill your experience, your view, your, some of your emotions of the world, we've, in this last week, we've had a shooting in a mosque. We've had a ban that's maybe being, it isn't a ban, but it is a ban, depending on who you ask, potentially being lifted. If you were to summarize your experience your thoughts in one word if you could distill it down to one word what would you what would you say your response to the way the world seems to be going at this moment and if you're brave enough shout it out what's your one word disappointment frustration, frustration. frustration. tense, tense. Sorrow. sorrow polarized, polarized. polarized. chaotic, chaotic. Angry. Resistance. Resistance. Afraid. Afraid. Yeah, lots of that swirling about. Another question, and you may not want to put your hand up to this, and that's okay, but if we're, if it's just to put the caveat, conflict is normal, and it's just the result of difference and change. How many of you would say, right now, I'm in the midst of conflict? I, I'm, I'm working through something. Uh, I'm, I'm, I want some conflict resolution. There's some set of, there's a bit of enmity. Maybe it's a big deal. Maybe it's just a little bit. But how many of you would say, right now, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm in the midst of that. 
uh, I'm, I'm in the midst of some sort of conflict right now. Yeah, so a good, a good portion of thanks for putting up your hands. There's a good portion of us that are not only theoretically working for reconciliation and forgiveness, but practically, actually. So from the macro to the micro, we're yearning for peace and trying to figure out how to make it. And those, that's a really important question. I think particularly now, how is peace made and how do I share in the making of peace? We've got to hear the doctor himself this morning. So just a short little clip. When we look at modern man, we have to face the fact that modern man suffers from a kind of poverty of the spirit which stands in glaring contrast to his scientific and technological abundance. We've learned to fly the air like birds. We've learned to swim the seas like fish. And yet we haven't learned to walk the earth as brothers and sisters. I love how he drops that last line, just leans up to the microphone. And yet we haven't learned to walk the earth as brothers and sisters. I love the clip. I love, I love hearing the people kind of amen and yeah, mm-hmm. kind of wish artisan would be more like that sometimes. And I'm sure you'd say, well, if you preach like Martin Luther King, we might do that then. So go for it and then we'll respond. <laughs> but what a phrase. We, we've done all of this. We've advanced in so many ways. We've figured out so much. And yet we have not learned to walk the earth as brothers and sisters. And so at this time, oh, with all of this swirling, all of which we've named and more, it seems appropriate that silence is needed more than ever, not at the expense of speaking out or acting, but a way of ordering and grounding our speaking and our acting. I think if we as a church are going to have any prophetic voice in this moment, it will be, first of all, to learn how to listen to what the Spirit's telling us about ourselves, about Christ, and about those who we would consider our enemies. So I'm going to read the text that we're going to look at this morning, and then let's follow it with a number of minutes of silence. And, um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into this a text of Ephesians 2.11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. 
For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. God, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. So we sit and we wait and we look for a true word from you as we look at the book of Ephesians as you helped uh, this community navigate a really polarized time. We pray for that for us. Help us to learn this morning about ourselves, about Christ, and about those we consider our enemy. Pray for grace. I pray for grace for myself that you'd help me in this and that we could all hear you. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you noticed as I read the beginning of the text, Ephesians 2, 11, right away, we're starting right off with polarization. Two groups of people. We've got Gentiles and Jews. If you've been around the, the Bible Those would be fairly common uh, names, people groups. But there's some strange smack talk going down, some strange name calling. Circumcised, or the uncircumcised and the uncircumcision. No, no. The uncircumcised and the circumcision. Which would be, it just makes a really strange patch if you were to make one for your jean jacket. You know, what gang are you part of? What what gang is that? so th- think about it, Corey. I don't know. Um, so, so odd labels, okay? Odd labels going around. But it's important to know first century Christians 
uh, were these communities were being formed in the midst of some very visceral polarization, which actually isn't all that unlike ours. And the first century world was aggressively ordered by hatreds. So when a Jew called a Gentile uncircumcised, they spat it. There's venom. There's contempt. There's a a name filled with profound contempt. And if a Jewish person married a Gentile, often the Gentile parents held a symbolic funeral service for their child. And Gentiles regarded Jews as subhuman and vice versa. So it's really important. The words we're looking at this morning is in the context of deep animosity, deep disgust, and violence between two social groups of people. So we're in the midst of polarization. What what would we say then is our moment of polarization? What are some of the us and them that you you know about? What are some of our us and thems? Progressive, conservative, what else? What other us and thems? Pro-life, pro-choice, great one. Christian, Muslim. Right wing, left wing. Rich and poor men and women. Christian, non-Christian. Sorry, Christian, non-Christian, Christian atheist, yeah. What was the other one? Some us and them thinking is appropriate, okay? It's just, <laughs> got to do, no. <laughs> you jerk, okay. Yeah, yeah, those are all, all good answers. So we're, we, we know how this works, and we felt it. We felt, haven't we? We felt being on both sides. We felt like what it's like to be in the, the us, whether that's a certain kind of knowledge or an expertise, whether that's about ethnicity, whether that's from your town or sports team. And, and we've also felt the other side of being a them. And we've, we've felt what's coming at us from, uh, from the other side. Uh, postmodern theorist Michel Foucault talks about the way we often form identity uh, is this. We find an identity factor of something usually that we're good at, that we get a sense of self-worth from, and then we despise those who can't do it. Or don't have it. So in other words, we create a self, we bolster a self through exclusion of the other. So it's basically, look at, I look at what I'm good at. Wearing these microphones isn't one of them. I look at what I'm good at, and then I look down on people who don't have that trait or skill. At least I'm not like them. Whether that's said or that's just something you murmur to yourself. At least I'm not like so-and-so. So I want to look at you, with you really quickly at how the line gets drawn. Because I think what Foucault's saying uh, is helpful. But I think there's stuff that comes even before then. As we draw the line between us and them, how those poles get established. Often it starts with some sort of hurt. A pickup at a fence. You have no idea what they did to me. Some sort of hurt mixed with either preceding or following fear. 
Fear of what I can't understand, fear of the other person that's so different from me, fear of what they might do to me if I'm open to them. There's hurt and there's fear. And then as Foucault says, then an identity starts getting formed. I get, I get an identity from those two things. Whether that's I'm a victim and I'm going to stand against the victimizers. I'm getting an identity from my victim. I, my identity comes from being against them. So you immediately see why you need the them. Because well, who are you if you don't have one? And then there's this thing of reinforcement, all kinds of reinforcements then. As I keep cycling back and revisiting the hurt, my victimization gets reinforced. I begin to look for a community of other people who are part of the us. Start creating an echo chamber of people who think and believe and tweet like me. I create this echo chamber and, and this starts to then kind of have this confirmation bias of, yeah, this really is the way the world works. And they really are. My view of them gets reinforced. They really, really are evil. And I realize the other side, the them, is doing the same thing. They're coming, colliding with all of this force coming from my side. They're coming with their own hurt, fear, identity that gets formed in the reinforcement. And then there's a big collision in the middle. And I, I wanted to, I couldn't get the graphic. I'm, I'm a keynote. So just a pause. I need training on keynote to figure out how to do a big swirly violence. But back to the talk. Um, anyone who's, who knows Keynote, help me out for next time. But in the middle, it's not there, but I want it to be there as a big collision. Violence. And as the two sides come and start mashing up against each other, this violent clashing. You, you feel this, right? You, you know this, whether or not you'd use these terms. And we can see this on all kinds of polls. Let's just take po politics, left and right. So we've seen in the last century as the dream of the Soviet Union collapsed, the communist ideal was dismantled, then the view of the world was that everything was stained with oppression. Again, Michel Foucault talks about these micro powers of oppression. And so uh, and they're, they're everywhere and everything. So any attitude, any statement can become an abuse of power. So the whole point then becomes a way, a kind of a game to identify and point out and label the oppressor. Just to find the oppression, to take back the power, to speak truth to power, yes, but to take it back, to label it, to diminish it. This is a very dark view of the world. Oppression is at every level, it's everywhere, and we identify power and we empty it of power. I heard of this commercial, this anti-bullying commercial, this important subject. The commercial goes something like this. This boy pushes, this little 10-year-old boy pushes a girl down, and her mom comes to the girl, and the girl says, don't worry, mom, that's just the way boys are. That's a really interesting statement. All boys? Every boy? There's oppression just built into that particular gender? All boys? If everything is wrong and everything has an abuse of power, then everything needs to be deconstructed. And so the game is all about taking that line and tilting it. Trying to tilt that line. And that's often what happens in, on, on, on the left. 
We want equality, but we, it, it means this kind of this tilting. On the right, there's a different view. And instead of seeing uh, oppression everywhere, instead of seeing the histories of colonialism and racism and oppression, rather than acknowledging the power differential of white male privilege, the right often sees that the problem's out there. If we could just put a border up and we could keep evil out, then we can protect ourselves with big walls and big bands because evil is out there and the game is about barricading the line. So on the left, you got tilting the line and the right is barricading the line, but this is really simplistic, but the left sees that the problem is all out there or all in here and the right sees that the problem is all out there and so there's this battle sparking as one group wants to erect more borders and the other group wants to tilt it more and take down identities and history. There's no borders, there's no difference and both and left and right, what it comes down to doesn't know how to deal with difference because it's still operating, It's, it's competing over the line. One philosopher puts it this way, society has discovered discrimination as the great social weapon by which one may kill men without any bloodshed. And both the left and right do this. You know how to discriminate? Oh, oh, you're excluding me? I will exclude you. Oh, violence and oppression then just gets replaced with a different set of violence and oppression and on and on. You go, how do we get out? How do, is this, do we just then compete for the line? Who controls it? Who tilts it? Who puts the walls up? Is that all that's left? Well, I, well, I, love, I love an Anabaptist distinctive that comes from being really Jesus-centered. And there's this little Anabaptist thing that goes like this, and it's cheeky. When the culture gives you two options, choose the third. When the culture gives you two options, choose the third. And so I think this text that we're in shows us what that third is. And so in this moment where we are seeking non-alternative facts, okay, we're, we're, we're looking for truth, Non-alternative facts. The invitation is to see yourself truly, to see Christ truly, and to see your enemy, your neighbor truly. So in this text, as we've, as we've established, in the midst of lots of us and them polarization, watch what Paul's doing with this group. First word is remember. Remember. Remember who you are and where you've come from. And this is what he lists. Remember that you were separate from Christ. Remember that you were excluded from citizenship in Israel. Remember that you were a foreigner. Remember that you had no hope without God in the world. Remember where you've come from. Earlier on in this letter in Ephesians 2, he, he starts the, the chapter this way. But as for you, I'm not even talking about your enemies. We're not talking about the other people on the poll. I know you want to make the issue about them. Let's start here. But as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. How leveling, how offensive, how rude is that? As for you. Like just complete bulldozer to bragging rights. Complete bulldozer to any attempt at pedestaling and tilting and putting yourself above another person. As for you, 
you were dead. And he keeps going on. It's, it's by grace that you've been saved. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. See, the genius of this is it's addressing the hurt and the fear that so often animates our polarizing with grace and love. Addresses your hurt and your fear. So you don't have to posture. You don't have to build a case. You don't have to justify. Every week, I sit in a circle uh, with a a sex offender. This is with COSA. Uh, We've had Frank Sawatsky come, and some of you are involved in COSA. COSA stands for Circles of Support and Accountability. It's really simple. We form a circle, a sex offender, which we call our core member. We meet every week, and we talk about reintegrating back into society. And it's very practical about, you know, finances or work. A lot of the time, it's just listening to the hurt and the fear underneath it all. I remember this one time, uh, my first circle was about four or five months in, and our supervisor, Frank Sawatsky, was the one who had kind of helped organize the group and came and trained us, and he was the one who had mostly seen the group. Five months later, Maureen, who was one of the other supervisors, came to the group. This was her first time at the group. She didn't know any of us. So we were sitting in the circle, and Maureen came, and I realized as we were visiting that she was talking to me as the core member. I felt my face start getting hot. I didn't want to interrupt her. She's very polite. And I thought, oh, I just started. My mind just went, oh, my word. She thinks, she th- she thinks I'm the sex offender. She's, I wanted to interrupt. I said, whoa, no, 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 not me. It's the other young guy. See what I did there, young guy? He's just kind of... Um, <laughs> He was like 25. It's easy to get us mixed up. I, I get it. Um, I was like, I was thinking, it's the other guy. And she think, why? Why would she think it's me? And I had the most embarrassing, shallow thoughts come to mind. Did she not, did she not see my shirt? I don't know why. Shirt. I'm wearing a button down, like a collar. Shouldn't she see my watch? How pathetic is that? That, that's what's, and I'm trying to justify myself. <laughs> you, you know, and for the whole, you know, finally somebody said, oh, no, Maureen, that's Lance. She said, oh, I'm sorry. Moved on. The whole 15, 20 minutes after that, I, I was not present in the circle. I was so deep in myself, working through that sense of self-justification. And I had this thought which I would attribute to God, and it was Lance, but for the grace of God. But, as for you, you're dead in your sins and transgressions. Lance, you with your own broken sexual history, you want to posture here and pretend you got some sort of holiness game? You want to elevate yourself? What, what, th- what do you think makes you any different? But, for the grace of God. There's no justification. So that's where it starts. See yourself truly. Let the hurt and the fear be addressed by the love and grace of Jesus. Because any pain that's not transformed gets transmitted. 
See yourself. Let that pain come into the light. Second thing we're invited to is to see Christ truly. So Paul's just listed their identity. Don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget. Don't forget. And then there's one of these big buts here in Scripture. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. And so Paul is summarizing here what Jesus has lived and taught and accomplished on the cross. And the summary we could just say is he's brought those who are far, he's brought them near, he's made the two one, he's, he's, he's uh, in the midst of hostility, he's, he's made, brought peace and he's taken any dividing walls down. So we just summarize, complete overthrow and disruption to the line of us and them. Complete disruption. And if that, if you're really into us and them, then you can blame Jesus for a polarization busting movement. Because make no mistake, this is Jesus' work. He inhabited a polarized culture of Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, Zealots, all religious but political parties, and who refused to play the games. So Jesus is going to form a new community and he chooses a few progressives. Chooses a few progressives like the Jameses and the Johns who are zealous to see God's kingdom restored and justice rendered and the marginalized, impoverished and impressed and occupied peoples free. Jesus chooses them and he also chooses to sit and share meals with the conservatives, people like Matthew, who's a tax collector and he's cozied up to the Roman Empire as part of the occupying powers. Some might even consider as greedy neocons. So Jesus gathers this first core of disciples and there is an intentional disruption of the poles. Now us and them are in the same group. <laughs> and it would not work if it weren't for Jesus standing at the center. There's no way Matthew and James would be in this circle. It naturally slide into the cultural ditch of mutual hatred for one another. So we see this in Jesus' example, and we see this in Jesus' teaching, which is just so distilled really, really well in the Sermon on the Mount. And if we were to summarize all of Jesus' teaching, we could do it really quickly like this. These were Jesus' big ideas. Enemies, love them. Violence, renounce it. Money, share it. Foreigners, Welcome them. Sinners, forgive them. Their power is love. And you go, okay, just hold your horses at this point. We're talking about breaking the line of us and them, except you're doing it in the context of religion. And do you not know that religion has been one of the biggest culprits of polarization? Do you not know that religion tends to pour fuel on this kind of stuff? And even now, you may, if you identify as a Christian, you may live with a deep embarrassment over our history of colonialism and patriarchy, of residential schools and systemic racism. 
And so in many ways, it seems right. Yeah, maybe religion should be done away with. Because it just, history shows, it just seems to keep reinforcing an us and them binary. This morning, I want just to read the text that we've heard again to you. And I, I think this is the best news going. I think this is the best news going when we're thinking, do, do, should we even pay attention to the way of Jesus at this time. I think this is the best news going because we get to hear the purpose of what God is trying to accomplish in the world. Hear this in Ephesians 2. Pure purpose. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. Out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Do you hear the purpose here of God? It is not to reinforce some sense of, of, of self-righteousness that you're now an insider. To not kind of underscore your us and them tendencies. The purpose of God is not to create yet another insider club. Or to try and get power back from the other side by tilting the scale. Or to pour more fuel on racism and oppression. But to make the two one, to make peace, to put to death their hostility. I can't think of better news at this moment than this. The whole point, Paul is saying, in Christ, is to take the whole line down with him. To take the whole us and them system down with him into the grave. To make peace through his cross. To make peace through right and left, Democrat and Republican, male and female, and gay and straight, and rich and poor, and Muslim and American, and Aboriginal and settler, and on and on and on. All of the us and them to take him back into himself, down into the grave, and be done with it. And essentially to rise and say, you've got an us and you've got a them, but you're lacking me. And here I am and Jesus inserts himself in the polarization and stands in between the us and them and says, no longer can you just stare straight down the line, glaring at each other. You're going to have to look through me. And you're going to have to watch how I look at them. And you're going to have to take on my gaze. And my heart, my radical heart of enemy love. He's dismantled it down. And this is why, particularly for the church, which I am a part of, and which I repent of, is just an absolute commitment to guarding the line at all costs. And it's, it's an affront to the way of Jesus and needs to be denounced. Any tilting, any wall-making is antichrist. Jesus takes down the whole system. And in a way, his purpose was to turn this into this. And as a person, Jesus, standing in the center. Let's go next slide. He then is in relationship with the whole circumference of the circle. Everything gets mediated by him. The only way to get to a circle is through his death and resurrection. By making peace on his cross. He is the, the filter that we see each other through. And you start to see that the question then, 
with the circle of whose side are you on just does not apply. What do you mean? It's a circle. Whose side am I on? Neither. The circle. And we know that in Hebrew understanding of peace, of shalom, this really is the image. Peace in Hebrew understanding means communal well-being in every direction and in every relationship. Wholeness. All-encompassing, all-embracing wholeness. We tend to choose sides, and God asks us to create circles. We're invited to see Christ, and we're invited to see our neighbor and our enemy truly. Ephesians 2 continues as Paul talks about taking these people who, who have a dismantled line, have been given a vocation to make a circle and to form a community out of them. To, to create an ongoing experience of how to manage the tension of disagreement and difference. That's the whole point of the church, is to put on display God's way of making peace with people who are not the same as you. One of my favorite stories, Scott, you might have to help me out on this. One of my favorite stories about Artisan is back uh, during the Olympics. And where was that event? Where did that happen? Where? Yeah, but the, in, that's where you talk. This is really well rehearsed, obviously, but um, you come and tell it. Okay, I'll tell it. <laughs> well, so back in the Olympic, when the Olympics were here, uh, both Mike DeBoer, Peter Legrand, Scott McTaggart were at the same event. And years ago, they were visiting at SOMA and realized that they were all at the same event doing different things. Scott, you were there too. Scott was, Scott was volunteering at this event. Mike was there schmoozing with some of, like he was with people from his work. And Peter was outside protesting <laughs> the event itself. And, I, and we've, we've held on to that story of that being, that is such a beautiful vision of the church. And all three of them there just laughing about it. If it were not for Christ, we wouldn't be here. There's no way this amount of difference and disagreement could hold. If it was just on a binary spectrum of poles, it could not hold. And yet, in this, this new circle community that Jesus is creating, the whole point of it is to put on display a peacemaking people. So as we shift here, how does this look actually practical? I want to just look at some words of Jesus that are, I think, incredibly poignant for this moment. This is Jesus, Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said, you shall not murder. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother is no better than a murderer. Again, anyone who says about a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the judgment of God. These are really intense words from Jesus, the the Prince of Peace. These are intense words as Jesus focuses on the smallest, almost seemingly inconsequential seeds of verbal violence. Jesus is forming a new community, and this is where he's starting. Name calling. Raka. There's a lot of rakaing we let ourselves get away with. Raka means it's a, it's a statement of contempt. Fool. 
or an uninformed idiot or whatever your preferred pejorative label is. We kill and we bludgeon and we slice and we slit with our words. And violence isn't just out there, it's in here. There's a lot of rocking that we let ourselves get away with. So Jesus addresses the smallest seeds of contempt. Uh, New York Times writer Tim Kreider coined the term outrage porn. And he, 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 the term comes from, it's based on hundreds of comments and letters to the editor. And Kreider says that many contemporary people feed off of feeling two things. The first one is the feeling of being right. And the second one, second one is the feeling of being wronged. Feeling right, feeling wronged. Which relates to, remember how polarization starts to escalate. Hurt, fear. And so he calls it outrage porn because it resembles actual pornography in that it aims for a cheap, temporary thrill at the expense of another human being, but without any personal accountability or commitment to that human being. And so outrage porn often escalates into the public shaming of groups and people labeling with caricatures and exclusion, defending those who've been offended, finding a common enemy. And, and this happens on, online, which I'm sure we've all seen, and it gets vicious. The angry blog, the critical tweet, comment section on Facebook. How many people have you blocked because of this? You know, whatever the method, the attempt is to hurt another person. Sometimes shaming escalates into a mob, a kind of a community that gets reinforced, wants to pronounce a verdict on this other person and pile on. And the amount of righteous indignation as the mob licks its chops and goes about demonizing, diminishing, and destroying its targets. Progressives leveling Trump's supporter. That's discrimination. And a conservative cheering on the ban is discrimination. And outrage porn is not new. This is the holier-than-thou thing that Jesus just came against, particularly with the Pharisees. Listen to these words that Jesus talks about the Pharisees. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they looked down on others with contempt. It's Luke 18, 9. I mean, that, that to me is a really good description of social media. <laughs> Trusted in themselves and looked down on others with contempt. So Jesus just comes with a straight no. 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 First of all, see yourself. See yourself. See your own need. See me. See me standing in the midst. And see your enemy truly. And more than just seeing your enemy, he elevates the game, as you know, to loving your enemy. And so we should say, well, how do we even make peace? It's no more complicated and it's no less intense than that. Love your enemy. Love your enemy. So first of all, to love your enemy, you need, to, you need to see them. There's been a couple pictures of people seeing each other that have been going around online that are just beautiful. Here's one. It's a Syrian father. Next slide. 
from last week. Learning to love and see those who are different than us. As G.K. Chesterton puts it, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because generally they are the same people. So it's so easy to project this, you know, I want, I want a government that's about peacemaking. Or I want a church that's about peacemaking. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount get, just points the laser at my heart and at your heart and says, what about you? Just you taking up a vocation of creating a circle rather than reinforcing the line. What about you moving from a life that's so concerned with borders and pedestals to one that's about circles and tables? So as Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We could say blessed are the circle makers. Those with those who join Christ in making and bending the line into a circle. We choose size, but God asks us to create circles. So what, what, are, what are the circles? What are the circles? It might start by just acknowledging the enmity I have with my spouse. This happens all the time in my marriage, where Amy and I just say to each other, hey, 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 same team, Odegaard. <laughs> same, whoa, same team. You know, he's suddenly combating over the scarce resources of who gets to sleep more when you have young children (laughs) or who have more nights out or who was the last one to clean up. Whoa, 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 same team. There's a circle here, not a line. But maybe the enmity goes deeper than that. And maybe starting to make the circle just means acknowledging your own contempt. You don't know how it got there. You do not want it, but it is there. Letting that be addressed. What are the little circles that are are made up of how you host and who you are at work, your friendship? What if you hosted a party and you, you only invited half of the people you liked? And the other half were people you didn't really get along with or didn't think they were going to mix that well or you know never get invited. What if, what if the circle just got a little bit bigger and weirder? <laughs> or the, the little circle of this congregation as, as we keep learning to embrace those who are different than us. Maybe it's the larger circles of learning to organize and resist and to work collectively and to join with others who are working for peacemaking. But what is the circle this morning? Let's not let it just kind of go off into some theoretical thumbs up for peace. Love it. I am into circles. Let's not let it go there this morning. Let's let's give some sort of response where we say, well, I'm in. I need to be rescued from the line. I need to be reconciled to God. I need to be reconciled to my spouse. I need to be reconciled to my settler or my aboriginal brothers and sisters. I need 
I need peace. First of all, we start there. We learn to see Christ, the one who's holding it, and we learn to see our neighbor slash enemy slash spouse slash friend in the light of Christ. Where is God calling us to be a circle maker? Let's just take a moment. You can just look. These are a lot of words. These are some heavy words. You may not want to say them, and that is, that is okay. But as a, as a first act of, of peacemaking here, we don't, we don't want to let this moment pass. This is a moment for the church and for us to, uh, to say yes to this vocation. So if you want to read along, you can. We're indicated in the bold print. Um, but you can also just listen and maybe take this home and consider perhaps when you might want to say these words. So why don't we stand up together and... Uh, Luke and Kristen will lead us, and we'll pray along in the bold print. Why don't, why don't you guys just trade? Just okay. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. For the victims of war, women, men, and children, have mercy. The maimed and the crippled, the abandoned and the destitute, have mercy. The imprisoned and the tortured, the widowed and the orphaned, have mercy. The bleeding and the dying, the weary and the desperate, have mercy. The lost and the forsaken, the homeless and the refugee, have mercy. O oh God, have mercy on us sinners. For our scorched and blackened earth, for the scandal of billions wasted in war, for the violence that is rooted in our hearts, for the times we turn others into enemies. Deliver us, O God. Guide our feet into the way of peace. From the arrogance of power, deliver us. From the myth of redemptive violence, deliver us. From the tyranny of greed, deliver us. From the ugliness of racism, deliver us. From the cancer of hatred, deliver us. From the seduction of wealth, deliver us. From the addiction of control, deliver us. From the idolatry of nationalism, deliver us. From the paralysis of cynicism, deliver us. From the violence of apathy, deliver us. From the ghettos of poverty, deliver us. From the ghettos of wealth, deliver us. From a lack of imagination, deliver us. Deliver us, O God. Guide our feet into the way of peace. We will not conform to the patterns of this world. With the help of God's grace. With the waging of war and the legalization of murder, with the slaughter of innocents and with laws that betray human life, with the destruction of community and the pointing finger and malicious talk, with principalities and powers that oppress, with the raping of women, with governments that kill and the business of militarism, with the hoarding of riches, 
with the dissemination of fear. Today we pledge our ultimate allegiance to the kingdom of God, to a peace that is not like Rome's. We pledge allegiance to the gospel of enemy love. We pledge allegiance to the kingdom of the poor and broken. We pledge allegiance to a king that loves his enemies so much he died for them. We pledge allegiance to the least of these with whom Christ dwells. We pledge allegiance to the transitional church, transnational church that transcends the artificial borders of nations. We pledge allegiance to the refugee of Nazareth. We pledge allegiance to the homeless rabbi who had no place to lay his head. We pledge allegiance to the cross rather than the sword. We pledge allegiance to the banner of love above any flag. We pledge allegiance to the one who rules with a towel rather than an iron fist. We pledge allegiance to the one who rides a donkey rather than a war horse. We pledge allegiance to the revolution that sets both oppressed and oppressors free. We pledge allegiance to the way that leads to life. We pledge allegiance to the slaughtered lamb. We pledge allegiance. And together we proclaim his praises from the margins of the empire to the centers of wealth and power. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. May his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. invited to come to the table, which is in the shape of a circle. And as we come, let's remind ourselves, let's go to the words of institution. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.